Hey everyone, welcome to Emotional Duct Tape. I'm Corey. I'm Jamie. Jamie, I, I love your smile. I hope you know that. Like it's my it's one of my favorites. Corey, thank you. I I'm in a great mood today. I, I feel extra smiley. Um and fun fact, in camp when I was like 12 years old, I got the award for uh best smile and also happiest camper, which is crazy because I like was going home from camp on the weekends. It was kind of like a, a teen tour camp and I was traveling a lot and then I come home on the weekends and like we were on food stamps and like there would be no food. And it was just this weird juxtaposition of life because my, my aunt was very wealthy. So she was paying for my camp, but my, my parents had no money and um, I still was like smiling through all of it. I just, I, I think it was naivety, honestly, but I'm grateful for it. Um, anyway, sorry, tangent. Thank you. Thank you for the compliment. I got best eyes in my high school superlative was best eyes in class Ooh. clown. So, in class but, clown, really? Who, who could have thought that, right? I love but, that. Um, yeah, no, how, how are things how are things going over there? Besides well, it's, it's been a while. Um, you know, I don't think we even really mentioned that we were taking a hiatus uh, no, to didn't. our listeners. So, um, hi, we're back. <laughs> You may not have even noticed we went anywhere. Uh, it was not really necessarily intentional. It just, uh, life is happening on both ends for us. Um, and I don't know, I feel like I love this time of the year. I love, I love the fall, uh, it's almost birthday month. And so, um, I don't know, I just feel really good and I start my new job on Monday. So I, I think that's, you know, everything's in a in a pretty good place right now um and of course just you know looking forward to the holidays um even though it's still september <laughs> i will forever be excited for christmas so <laughs> yeah how's everything going there good getting over getting over some congestion my my kid was sick then gave it to me as you know as any generous child does um <laughs> but yeah no doing good yeah, he's he's a hoot right now. He's uh, live loving preschool and the school system now, and uh, therapy's going well. Uh, definitely hitting some stumbling blocks along the way, but without that, there is no growth. And so I'm glad for that, and I'm glad to be here today because I missed you and I haven't seen you. And we, we talked like almost every day, anyways. But I know, but like <laughs> we haven't we haven't recorded together, so you know. Likewise, it feels good to be back, and um, I couldn't be more excited for our guest today. Um, I think she is a great welcome back. This is going to be a great um, conversation, and um, you're putting a lot of pressure on her right now by saying yeah. all this stuff. I, you know what? I don't. I, I, I hear you, but I, but it, her content um, speaks for itself, and so. Um, anyway, I will stop mumbling and, well, I would like to welcome Rachel Havacost to our podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and your intro was so cute. I love hearing you guys catch up. That was so sweet. Aww, yeah. <laughs> right off the bat, like you just have an energy about you and I really like that. Like there's just, is the word effervescence? Is that the word? Ooh. But no, cause that, that's like, that's like bubbly. I mean, like you're, but you're like. <laughs> You're not like, oh my God, hi. You're not like Price is Right. You know, you're just, you're, you're a cool <laughs> version of that. I, I appreciate that. I, I always enjoy getting compliments about my energy. I feel like that makes me feel very seen. 
Um, and so, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, and I totally agree. Um, and I think that's, you know, so I, I saw it, I think, I don't know if it was Corey or myself or maybe both of us, of course, you came up on, on the For You page in TikTok um, and, you know, you were dancing um, and dancing through your grief. And I was like, holy crap, like, that's amazing. You know, I personally love to dance. It is one of my favorite things. I found myself dancing yesterday. There was absolutely no music. And I looked at my, like, my boyfriend and I was like, I know I'm, I, I'm crazy. Like I, I just, I was in a good mood and I'm like, there literally is no music and I'm, I'm still dancing. So, um, when I saw, when I saw that post in particular, I was like, Corey, <laughs> like, or Corey sent it to me, or I don't know. I, like I said, I am not exactly entirely sure how it happened. Um, there are those serendipitous things that happen on TikTok, like mine and Corey's, um, you know, friendship and this podcast happening out of it. So, um, you know, but but you have so much more depth than, than that. So I'm excited, you know, for you to share your story and um, share all of the amazing things that you're working on and doing for for the, the grief and community. Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, it's so interesting that that's how you found me. I think that's how a lot of people find me, which I always, I'm always surprised by because to me, it's sort of like one of the more like extended branches of what I feel like I do or, or what feels like the foundation of what I do. And so it's always, it's wonderful when that's like the branch people kind of latch onto. And then when they start to kind of move in towards all the other things I do. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, it's a wonderful way to connect with people. So I'm glad that you, that you saw the video somehow. <laughs> yes. Because so, I mean, we, we see this, this moment, you know, we see these TikToks of you, you know, celebrating the joy of where you've, of where you are now, but there was some grief that had to kick off that whole process. So let's talk about that grief a little bit. Yeah. Um, so interesting. I just got emotional when you asked me that, which is I, I've been in sort of like a, an emotional place in the last few days. Um, and uh, you know, the, the grief that I was, was, and still I feel like I'm dancing through um, is related to my divorce. Um, and so I got divorced Oh, I'm so sorry. My doorbell's ringing. <laughs> this must be a package for me. Perfect if timing. You to, if you need to, if you need to. This episode it. is brought to you by Amazon. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Saved by the bell. Please um, sponsor us, Amazon, please. Please, please. Me, we love you. Too. I just got a package myself, so. <laughs> same, same. Um, no, they can wait. It's fine. Um, so I, uh, I got divorced last year. Um, it, it's been about a year and a half since um, the, the day, I call it the day in May. It's the day that my ex-husband actually asked me officially for a divorce. Um, and we were, we were married for about, um, about three years, but together for 10. Um, I'm 32. So it was like, you know, I was 22 when we got together. So we really grew up together um, and, and we're together for a very long time. And, uh, and it was, uh, it was just a really, really, really awful year. And, uh, I've, you know, I've moved through grief before I've had death. I've experienced death, um, both in my family and I've had, you know, a friend, um, pass away in a, in an accident. Um, I've grieved, uh, you know, mental illness that I've had to recover from. I've grieved identity loss, but grieving a partner was something that especially one who's still alive was very, very odd. Um, and 
And I just did not, I did not know how to cope. I did not know how to move through it. And I've been in therapy for 17 years. I have a lot of skills. Um, and I, I just didn't know, I didn't know what to do. And I went to Bali, um, in 2019 for, uh, it was the first time that we actually separated before we officially got divorced. And I went to this, this thing called ecstatic dance, which is like, um, you go gather with a group of people and there's a DJ and the only rules are there's no right way to move, no talking, no filming or photographs, um, and no touching. Um, so it was just this permission to move very, very freely without worrying about, you know, people wanting to dance with me or on me. Um, it wasn't about, about that. <laughs> it wasn't about that. You know, it was about movement and everyone was moving so freely. And I just remember like bursting into tears, just like crying the whole time. And I hadn't, I just hadn't felt that free in a very, very long time. And so I just kept dancing, um, when I could and, and then I think one day I like posted something to my Instagram story and uh, people seemed to really resonate with it. And then I started to talk to my therapist more about it. And she told me how there's a real connection between shaking and releasing trauma, like dogs or animals after they experience something really stressful or traumatic, they'll physically shake to physiologically move whatever stressor or stress hormones have come up to like kind of move them through the body and regulate. Um, and so once I learned that, I was like, oh, there's actually something like physiological and neurological happening when I shake my body. Um, so not only does it make me feel just emotionally good, um, but it's, it's somatically healing different parts of, you know, trauma from other places in my life. Um, and it's a way for me to reconnect my mind and body, which typically get severed when we experience any kind of trauma. So it was like kind of this like trifecta of allowing me to move through the grief of my divorce and also tackle a lot of other areas of my healing that I hadn't been able to approach um, in this sort of somatic way. So that's so cool. And it seems like such a, you know, now hearing it, I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense. But it's like, how come we don't hear that a lot? You know, and I've had experiences where like, I used to do yoga a lot pre-COVID obviously. Um, and when I first started doing it, that and chiropractic, I would cry all the time. I would cry during practice. I would cry during my adjustments. And it is like, it's really interesting to hear, um, particularly the shaking, um, versus even like the other kinds of movement. Um, that's really cool. Do you, um, real quick, do you, you were talking about how you've experienced grief for your life, you know, and so the, the loss of a spouse was kind of the grief that really hit you the hardest. Do you think, I mean, you were in therapy. So do you, do you think that it was just the culmination of a lot of grief over the years, or do you think it was that specific instance that, that you felt so deeply for? I think it was that, that instance, because like, number one, like people don't talk about divorce. It's a very taboo topic. And so I, I had my own internalized stigma around what divorce meant and what it might feel like if it ever happened. And so I was not prepared for it to be a grieving process. I had, you know, when someone dies, we know that that's something we mourn. Um, but I didn't have, I had no clue that divorce would be something that I would grieve. And I also had no idea that it wouldn't just be mourning the loss of this person who was in my life all the time, but I was also mourning his family who was my family and our friends 
who were my friends and um, you know, music that was once shared with each other and belongings that we once shared and an identity as a wife. Like I had to let go of this idea that I was not only somebody's partner, but a wife. And suddenly I, I wasn't. Um, I was also mourning this whole future that I thought was going to be my life. And suddenly my future was just like this dark, empty hole. Um, and in a lot of ways, I felt like I also had to grieve the whole history of our relationship because I, it now had a different meaning. Um, like our whole story just completely changed overnight. Um, and it was, and it was, I might cry again. It was so, um, sudden that it felt like a death. Like, I mean, in one instance, like I remember going to bed the night after he asked me for a divorce and I lay down and I thought, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that last night was the last night I was going to share a bed with my husband. Like, I didn't know the last time I kissed him was going to be the last time I kissed him. And, um, and it just, I, the, the shock and the disbelief was so much more um, visceral and paralyzing than I could have ever imagined. Um, and then the, the confusion around the fact that he was still alive and there and that I could, if I wanted to kiss him, but I couldn't. And I, if I wanted to hug him, I could, but I couldn't. And it was just this sort of strange, um, he exists, but he's not in my life anymore um yeah that that that, that tie was severed to base you know basically so yeah yeah i'm so sorry and and also you know what's coming out to me and, and is like that you didn't have a choice you know this was he made a decision and there was no you know you weren't able to make your case or or say, I don't want this, um, assuming that you did not want it. <laughs> right, no, it, de it definitely felt unilateral. And I think it was, I mean, we had we had gone to couples therapy for about six months. Um, so we, we were trying, like we were really, really trying to make things work. Um, and we just kind of kept coming up against the same fight. And I, could, I can't even tell you what it was about. I mean, it was just so, we were so lost in not being on the same page. Um, but yeah, I did. It felt like I had no choice. So I felt very powerless, um, which, you know, triggered a whole slew of old, old, old beliefs and stories and symptoms. Um, and yeah, so it was, it was a hard year. It was a really hard year. Yeah. So moving beyond, so, you know, you go to Bali, you start to experience this, you know, this, this movement and letting emotions come out. I'm sure it wasn't like a, once I started moving, I cried it all out and it was fine. Like, I'm sure there was a lot more you had to go through um, to get to where you are now. Do you want to talk about that at all? Just like that journey, that process, maybe some, you know, you can talk about the good and the bad if you want to. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I coped so poorly. <laughs> um, I, you know, there were, I mean, there were days when I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm doing the things that I feel like are effective. Like I, um, you know, I was seeing a therapist once a week. I was talking to my close friends. I was writing um, and journaling. Um, but I was also, uh, you know, I was also drinking a lot to cope. I was isolating a lot. I was um, immediately seeking to fill that emptiness by, you know, longing for attention from new men. Um, and, uh, and I would kind of go through these just like up and downs for most of the year of like, just 
almost running from my grief and doing everything I could to avoid having to feel what I was feeling. Um, and then, you know, not being able to run anymore and falling and being like, okay, I have to face the thing, you know, the feelings that I don't want to face. I feel like that's a, a common thing that people do, but at the same time, like we are, we're, we're thinking that we're running, like that we're like filling it and fixing it. But like, all we're doing is like, we're doing these, these poor coping mechanisms and we're still feeling the shit too. We're just not feeling it to, to its fullest extent, unfortunately. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I think looking back, like I can now give myself so much more grace and compassion and say, I don't think anyone moves through grief perfectly. I don't think like, show me someone who was like, I faced every phase of grief one at a time. And I, you know, and I managed to, to really feel it all and do all of the journaling exercises. And I just followed the progression. And now here I am like, we, we, it's hard. It's so hard. And like, there are days when like, we're just, you know, or at least I was just too tired to try, or uh, I just didn't feel like it, or I was too sad to get up and do the things that I knew might make me feel better. And that's part of it. Like that, I learned that that is like the falling and the not quote unquote doing the healthy thing is a part of the grieving process. And it doesn't mean that I did it wrong or poorly. It just means that I was grieving. <laughs> so I can definitely look back now with less um, criticism, but you know, in, in the moment at the time I had so much self-criticism around quote unquote, how well I was coping or how healthy my coping mechanisms were. It's so interesting to say that too. I was just in therapy um, like two weeks ago and talking to my therapist about some of my habits and he, you know, and I, I was, I sat there, I'm like, how on earth do I, do I reset this like mindset I've had for so long? And this is it's not specifically about grief, but it was more about some of my own hangups. And it was like, like, I guess I was like, how on earth do I even like, do I even stop to, you know, to take myself out of the situation and like reprogram myself? Because when I get to that point, like my mind is just one track. Like, how do I stop myself? And it's so, it, he's, he's like, you just got to, it's got to be practice. So I'm like, like, how do I even start to practice? Um, but yeah, I totally get that. Uh, my question I was going to ask earlier was, um, was there a watershed moment? Like where you just realized things had to take change course, like a water, was there a specific moment? Was it lots of little moments? I mean, where, where was, I guess the turning point in terms of like, uh taking a bigger step in my grief or well yeah that that and just starting to, to kind of to kind of deal with those those unhealthy uh coping mechanisms and everything you know i uh i don't know that there was a single moment i i so i i spent a lot of this year writing my memoir um which is which talks a lot about my divorce but it also covers kind of my whole history with mental health and mental illness and in a lot of ways, I think that that prolonged my grieving process because I was reliving everything um, for the whole year rather than allowing myself to accept and let go and move forward. So I truly don't think that I was physically or emotionally um, able to actually really move on until I finished writing, until I like literally and figuratively closed all of those chapters of my life and put it aside and said, okay, now this is really, really done and I can move forward. So even though there were pockets and moments throughout the year where I was like, Rachel, you gotta like, something has to change because you're gonna, you're gonna hurt yourself. Um, 
there was always this pullback of like, okay, but I have to finish writing my book. And um, so I, <laughs> I, you know, I think that, that that made things a lot harder for me. And I know that when I, I'm a very symbolic person. And so I think when I like really finished writing, it was almost the symbolism of like, okay, I can, I can let go now. Like I can truly let go. Um, so I feel like, I don't know if that's a watershed moment, but I feel like it is. I, but that that's it. That's like the kind of thing you see it like in like a movie, you know, when it's like you close the book, you know, and then like the, the wind blows, you know, like in the curtains <laughs> and you're like, you know, just sit there. And kind yeah. of just, I, I, I got to imagine that that was pretty cathartic though. Just closing that book and realizing like, okay, I don't got to touch this stuff again for a while. Yeah. It was, uh, it was much needed relief. Um, I think, you know, I don't regret writing that book and it was fairly re-traumatizing and um, I was, I was pretty suicidal by the time I was finished writing. I was just, I mean, I was living, I was living halfway across the world. So I was not in the same time zone as my family or my therapist. Um, and, and I had just, I had just broken a couple bones. So I was on bed rest um, and I couldn't leave, I couldn't really leave my, my cabana and it was COVID and uh and I just uh I was not doing well I was really not doing well and so once I finished the book I was like okay I can I can finally come home and and rest like honestly I just wanted to rest and so like I flew back home and lived with my mom for a bit and then my dad for a bit and I just stopped writing I stopped thinking about or like focusing on anything that had to do with the past and I just focused on being in the present moment um and that was so needed um, and so necessary. Uh, and it took it took several months for me to really um, get back on my feet. Um, but yes, it was a huge, a huge, huge, huge relief. Grief okay. really does have a way of keeping you in your past, doesn't it? I like I, I know that for myself. Like I, I'm, I find I constantly as I process my own grief and my own situations in my life, I'm constantly because I'm naturally a person who will, if I, if something happens to me now, I blame it on almost like karmic, like retribution, like somehow, like, you know, it's because of this thing in my past. But then I also think too, a lot about my, like my grief. Oh, and, cool. I, I, this, <laughs> I, you know, karma is not going me. to get you. I don't I know, think. I know. Anybody, but, but I know. Karma is going to get anybody. I really don't think it's going to be you, my sweet friend, but I get the thinking. <laughs> but I mean, I'm, as as my personal my my personality is i my therapist probably say i get hung up on my past like way too easily i'm too busy trying to sit back and analyze everything that went wrong and i forget to live in the future so it's grief i'm i'm totally totally get what you mean like how that kind of keeps you just in that place for a long time yeah what what made you want like what made you go into the 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 writing process like did you did you go into it thinking okay you know, I'm going to write this book, it's going to be cathartic, and it's going to be great. And then you wound up in this process, or how did that go for you? You know, I, it's so funny, because when I was little, like, very, very, like, three or four years old, I, you know, I would tell my parents that I wanted to be a writer. Um, and then somehow that kind of that dream sort of, I don't know if it faded away, or if my, if I had some teachers that kind of influenced me to go in different directions, but I kind of just let go of that as like, even an idea idea of who I would be or what I would do um, and after a lot of different um, career attempts and you know moving through different phases of my life um, I ended up uh, going to grad school to be a mental health counselor because I had been through 
um, treatment for an eating disorder and I found it very impactful and I wanted to pay it forward. So I went to grad school um, and I actually, uh, I needed to withdraw about four months before my program ended because I was not well enough to be, um, even though I'd been through this treatment program, I'd still, there's so much I hadn't dealt with that was coming up, um, especially just around like being perfect or good enough or, um, I just, the pressure of school was too much for what I could tolerate. And so after that, I kind of thought, all right, well, so what, what am I, what am I going to do with my life? Um, I still really care about mental health. Maybe I'll, maybe I can write about mental health. Maybe that can be the vehicle for how I communicate, you know, what I've learned in school, what I've learned in therapy and maybe make people feel less alone, which is all I really wanted to do. I wanted to make people feel less alone because I had felt so, so, so alone for many, many years. And so I started writing. Um, and shortly after I started writing, I told my ex-husband, I was like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book about my eating disorder. Um, and it's going to be really honest and really transparent because it's what I wish had existed when I was 15 and I was diagnosed because I thought I was the only person in the world dealing with what I was dealing with. And there was nothing available for me. So I'm going to write this book for 15 year old me and for one person out there to feel less alone. And, and he was uh, really concerned about it. He actually was like, he was like, I'm really worried that if you make your life about writing about your mental health, that you're always going to have to be unwell, that if you're not unwell, you won't have anything to write about. Mm -hmm. And so there was, there was this really kind of like, and I, I really trusted him and loved him and he knew me very, very well. And so I, I took that to heart and I, and it became this inner conflict around, is this the wrong thing for me to do? Should I not write about my mental health? Is he right? And so I just never, I just never wrote a book. I just, I would blog and I would write, you know, I had a blog that it was like nobody read except for my mom. And, um, and then on January 1st of 2020, um, after we first separated, I committed myself to being public about my mental health, regardless of what he said. And, um, and I promised myself that I would do it in service of making one person feel less alone. Six months later, he asked me for a divorce and I was like, fuck it. Like, I have nothing to lose now. Like I'm going to write, I'm going to write this book. And, um, and I couldn't write it without including the story of us. And I couldn't write it without including our divorce because that was so woven into my eating disorder. My eating disorder definitely impacted our marriage and our marriage impacted my eating disorder as did the divorce. And, um, and so that just became part of the book. So it felt like it felt like fulfilling a promise I'd made to myself a long time ago. Um, and yeah, so I don't know if that answers the question, but it does. Yeah, do, absolutely. Do you feel like, I mean, the support you didn't get from your now ex-husband, do you feel like your family was supportive of you during that time though? They were, I mean, what was, what was responsible from there? Or did you have any support network that was, that was um, on your side, I guess? My friends supported me. My therapist supported me. My dad was always very like laissez-faire, hands-off, like do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess he supported me, but he wasn't really verbal or like actively supportive. Um, mm -hmm. my, my mom was at the time, my, so my mom and I had a very strange relationship for several years. Um, and so at the time she, she was kind of in this headspace of like how it was gonna impact her and how I was going to, what, you know, what stories was I going to tell about her in the book and, you know, how was she going to look? And, um, 
um, she's not that way now. We've we've done a lot of work together in the last year, and she she and I have gotten to a place where yeah, where she's now incredibly supportive, super proud of me. Um, she read my book, and, and yeah, like um, now you know my dad now is incredibly supportive, like verbally, vocally, and I honestly I honestly think that maybe reading my book helped them understand me better, um, and so they know now you know, kind of like a, a third hand, third hand sort of way. Oh, this is what Rachel meant when she would say these things to us, or when she would ask us to support her in this way, this is why, or this is where it came from. And, um, and so I think, you know, they were always supportive. I just don't think they, they really knew exactly how to show that or express it. Um, but I, I definitely felt like unsure if they were supportive when I started writing and I had to let go of a lot of fear around what they might think about what I wrote. Cause they were both in my book. Um, and that was a big, big roadblock, um, and something I was very, very scared about, like almost didn't even publish my book after I finished. Cause I was so terrified of what my, my mom might think. <laughs> but what a beautiful outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, something that really stands out to me that you said, um, that, that your ex-husband said was that, you know, that you would always be unwell, but everything that I have experience from your content and and you know what you've spoken about with your memoir to me you're talking about what it's like to be in it but also what it's like coming out of it and healing and I don't think that like those two things go together so is that that that's struck me as such a strange thing for him to say and I totally understand how like literally one sentence can stick with you forever and change your whole mindset about something that and and, and, it, and it's not even a true you know a, a truism at all yeah and I think you know that makes me think of two things the, the first one is like you know I think that there was some nugget of truth in what he said because at the time he said it I still was really coming to terms with how to cope with my depression my anxiety um, emotions that felt like really scary and dark. And I, and, and it was very, very hard for me to allow myself to feel any levity or any joy because I felt such guilt when I would feel those feelings. I felt like if I felt that, that it would invalidate all the depression I had felt, um, or that someone would say, see, you're fine. Like nothing was really that bad. So I was, I was almost more afraid of feeling well than I wasn't feeling unwell. Um, and, and that, and there was some truth to that. And now, you know, a lot of my work has been, how do I honor those feelings of joy, of celebration, of um, play, delight, wonder as being completely equal to all those other emotions that I worked so hard to accept. And so now I feel like, of course, there's space for me to write from those spaces and from those emotional places. And that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, uh, that I'm dismissing anyone who's experiencing depression or that I'm saying, see, this is the goal of life is to feel these. And I can talk about the experience of those emotions the same way that I would talk about the experience of the other ones. Um, so I definitely feel like that is a space that I've more recently been able to come into, um, which I'm really grateful for. And then the other thing that made me think of was, um, you know, my ex-husband was not entirely excited about the idea of me writing about mental health. Um, but now he's incredibly supportive. Um, so we still, we still communicate um, and, uh, and speak. And he, you know, I called him right before I published my book um, 
out of respect and love and said, you know, I'm sure you know this, but you're in my book. <laughs> um, and I, cause I talk a lot about our relationship and our divorce and I'm not calling you to ask you for permission um, to publish this, but I am calling you because I would like to give you a, the opportunity to change your name if you don't want it to be your real name. Um, and B, if you'd like to read it before I publish it. Um, and if there is anything you're really concerned about, you know, I, I would, I'm happy for you to let me know. And he said, you know, Rach, um, I know you so well, and I know that you would never write anything to intentionally make me look like an idiot or a bad guy. And if, and if there's something you write about that makes me look like a bad guy, it's probably because I did something dumb. I'm a human and I've done dumb things. And, um, and I can cope with that. That's for me to deal with, not for you. And this is your story and you get to share it. Um, and, and I support you and I'm on your team. And I just like, I mean, I just like, that was just the most loving thing um, that he could say. And, and so now, you know, now when we talk, he's, um, he just gets excited for me. And that feels really nice to know that he, you know, it's possibly because there's a level of detachment he can have around it being connected to him as my husband, which is fine. You know, that's okay. Um, and it feels like there isn't this anxiety around like, is he going to think that this is not good for me or healthy for me? He just, he's just excited. So it's, it's also been really wonderful to feel that shift too. How beautifully mature and wonderful on both sides. Like that is that I like, I love to hear that. I love to hear how everything went with your parents. Like it is, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel, I know that, that I'm very lucky. Like, I know that that's not the experience that many, many people have. Um, so I, I am very aware that I, um, am, I'm, I'm lucky that it worked in that, in that direction for me in all those different relationships. So the book did the work even before it got out to the public. It's amazing. It's so cool. What's the response on the book been like outside of the, the, the family and the, the close people who know you? Um, it's been, it's been only positive. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still daily blown away that I haven't received a bad review or, I mean, it's, it's just been really positive. So the biggest response I get is I, I, I saw myself in these pages and I felt less alone and that was all I wanted. So. Absolutely. And you're, you're worth the effort too you know like we're all we're all worth it and um it's it's just it's so cool to hear about you know your journey and 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 how it's how it's impacting other people it's it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's real and um i really like that you talked about you know both sides because that's super important. I, I talk about it a lot. I have I have chronic Lyme disease and um, I can be smiling and laughing and still be in pain, you know? Like that's something that we talk about a lot in, in, in the chronic illness community, but it also needs to be out there in, in all of the communities and all of the grief communities and all of the mental health communities of like, you can have both and both are fine and healthy and normal. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that like that both and is something like I, I first learned that when I was in my eating disorder treatment program, um, which was um, based in dialectical behavior therapy, also known as DBT. And it's so much around the dialectic of, 
you know, two opposing ideas being able to coexist and one doesn't uh, negate the other. They can just simply exist at the same time. And uh, that was a very important lesson for me to learn. And it's one that I'm continuing <laughs> to learn on a daily basis. Um, that if, you know, if I make a mistake, it doesn't mean that I'm a failure and, you know, I can, I can feel joy in one day and then feel sorrow at the end of the day. And it doesn't mean that that joy didn't exist. I mean, it's but like, you know, you can be in pain and still feel happy. Like, you know, there's this both and quality to life. Um, so, so where life going to take you? I mean, obviously you kind of, kind of don't know, but I mean, like, what's the future looking like right now, now that you've wrote this, written this book and you're dancing your way through grief and you're, creating a platform on social media where people can feel empowered like like what what's what's next for you I have absolutely no idea <laughs> I have, I have absolutely like seriously I have no idea I um I just moved into a new apartment in Seattle and signed a nine-month lease which is the longest I've lived somewhere in, in like three years um, oh, congratulations thank you yeah it's, my it's first... adorable by the way or if thank you're worried, you that's where you are right now yeah yeah it's, it's absolutely adorable <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very cool like 19 early 1900s building it's very funky if you dropped a marble on the floor it would roll you know to the corner um <laughs> and uh yeah I mean I think you know after feeling so unstable this summer I I just thought I need a little bit of stability and I don't necessarily love living in Seattle but my family's here my therapist is here it's where I grew up so I know the city it's familiar so there's a level of safety and stability that I can that I can have while I kind of figure out all right where is my life going to take me next um so right now I'm really I'm really focusing on being in the present moment allowing myself to experience joy if and when joy joy comes up um and still honoring when grief and loneliness arises because it does um and, and just trusting that like the next thing will come to me. Um, I'm, I'm the kind of person that likes to plan, that likes to have goals and ideas and like make things happen. And I'm, I'm trying to allow myself to um, lean into the other end of the spectrum where I just trust that, you know, that one doorway is gonna be an opening to the next thing that's coming. Um, and allow myself to live in a little bit of that uncertainty which is very very hard <laughs> but you're here <laughs> yeah so uh, so I don't know if you have an idea of what I should do next I'm all ears <laughs> nothing I think exactly what you're doing is the right thing you know if that's like what your body and your like your being is saying I want this stability and I just want to like chill out then whatever it is that is coming um next will just show up like I, I've definitely noticed that in life. Um, things just show up when they, when they when they need to, and you you can you don't have to necessarily be always planning and things. I mean that was also like it does. It takes a long time to learn that if you are that you have that personality, um, you know, and you are that way. It's like oh, like I need to have something else to look forward to, and it's like how about just the day you know like we get to wake up today that's that's good enough yeah 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 definitely i love it so um one thing we always do before we we get to the close of the podcast is we we pose this this sentence and then we ask our guests to fill it to finish it to finish it can be a single sentence or a single word can be a few words uh it could be a couple sentences 
But how would you finish the sentence grief is? Gosh, I'm just going to go with the first thing that came to my mind, which is grief is all encompassing. Whatever you say, the first, the first thing is always the best. First thought, best thought. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so true. (laughs) Yeah, most definitely. Um, Well, Rachel, thank you for being here today. Thank you for being on the show and telling us the story and making Jamie cry because like, we always there's this running joke on the podcast that we know you know you've made it like you made it on the podcast if you make Jamie (laughs) love it it's a good thing I appreciate it honestly I you know like I love to feel my feels with all of my people and you know anybody that comes on the podcast becomes family in a sense you know because we do we have that we all have that common thread of just Hey, we went through something really shitty and uh, we're just trying to like not feel alone and, 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 and find, you know, and learn and grow. And like, you have definitely shared so many beautiful things and your story is, is beautiful and uh, super proud of you. (laughs) You know, like I know we're strangers technically, but we're not anymore because Hey, we just spent an hour together, you know. So really thank you. It's 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 been an honor to have you on. And I'm excited to read your book. Oh, thank <laughs> Super you. Super excited to read your book and really excited to share with everybody listening um all of everything else that you know, like all of your social accounts. If you are, you know, cool with us sharing your social accounts, um, they make they make my day, they brighten my day, they they inspire me. I share them with people. Um, you've got a lot of knowledge and it's very helpful. So thank you so much. Oh, of course. Thank you both so much. You were both like such lovely human beings. You made me feel so, so, so safe. And, um, I just, (laughs) I I just feel very, very grateful to have met both of you. Um, it's probably one of the most, uh, wonderful, pleasant podcasts I've been interviewed for. I just feel very, very safe. So thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And everyone who's tuning in today, thank you so much for being here and we'll talk to you later. (laughs) Bye, everybody.